Hello and welcome to Encouraging Others in Loving Jesus. I'm your host, Kim Smith, and we're on episode 160, When Earthly Power Blinds You. As I've been preparing for this particular lesson, God has really been working in my heart and my mind. I was reading through my section of the book of Luke this morning. I'm reading the book of Luke, going to read into the book of Acts, and then go back again, I'm not sure how many times, until I feel like I need to move on to a different book of the Bible. But this morning I was reading in Luke 9. And I may have told you this before, but in my Bible study, I try to read a very limited amount of scriptures each day. And the reason I do that is because I'm recording this in 2022 and my word for the year is marinate. I want to marinate in God's word. And when I try to read beyond one particular story, I find myself not really focusing as I need to and applying what was in those scriptures. So in Luke 9, 46 to 48, even though there's only three verses, there's a whole lot in there. So to set the stage, because we're going to go to 2 Samuel here in a few minutes, but to set the stage, Jesus has just told his disciples again that he's going to be killed and they don't get it. And it even says that their eyes are blinded, but for a different reason than our power blindness that we're talking about in today's lesson. But right after Jesus tells them that he's going to be killed, they get into a power struggle. And every time I read it, I just get aggravated at them. But then I'm also reminded of how often I am so focused on myself that I miss the needs of those around me. You know, Jesus has just told them that he's going to be killed. And all they can do is be focused on me, 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 me. And who's going to be the greatest? It says, Then his disciples began arguing about which of them was the greatest. But Jesus knew their thoughts, so he brought a little child to his side. Then he said to them, Anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me. And anyone who welcomes me also welcomes my Father who sent me. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. Is that not absolutely flipped upside down what we as humans consider being the greatest? In our view of life, you are greater when you have greater power. And yet Christ flips it upside down as he does with the majority of his theological statements. Let's look at Matthew 20, 25 through 27. But then Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, 
and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. In other words, in order to truly, in the eyes of the kingdom of God, be great, you must choose to humble yourselves. That is so contrary to everything that they thought then, and definitely what is portrayed in the media and in so many ways. In the verses we're going to be looking at today, we're looking at a concept that I'm going to call power blindness. I have no idea if anybody has ever called this situation, this perspective, power blindness, but I think it fits. So it's this entire idea of how either when we have gotten power or we are struggling in order to get power, that we are blinded to pretty much all reality. Like you think about it. You, you're you so focused on me, 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 and I've got to get one up. I've got to get, the, I've got to be greater than the Joneses kind of stuff that you don't see the needs of those around you. I mean, look at the disciples and their fussiness. Jesus had just said he was going to be murdered. And instead of ministering to him, instead of grieving as a result of what he said, they're all about, I'm greater than you are. And that really probably bothers you when you read scriptures like that. But how often do we do the exact same thing? We get so focused on having power over someone at work, having power over someone in a relationship where you know that you can push their buttons or you know that you can get their attention. Sometimes it's overt. Sometimes it is covert. The weekly assignment feature is ask the Lord to open your eyes to any areas of power blindness in your life. Because it's possible that you think, oh, this doesn't apply to me. (laughs) Well, that would be wonderful. If it does not, then listen so you can help others. But chances are you struggle with power blindness in some way, shape, or form. It may be in your most intimate relationships. It may be in relationships with the neighbors. Like, we we just, we struggle with pride. Let's just be honest. We struggle with pride. What was the sin, what was the sin that sent Lucifer out of heaven? It was the sin of pride. You can look in Isaiah 14, 12 through 14, and Ezekiel 28, 13 through 17. I have those. Specifically, I have the links in the show notes. 
But Isaiah 14, 12 through 14 says, How you are fallen from heaven. O shining star, son of the morning, you have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Pride, 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 and power. That was what sent Lucifer down. And if you think that we don't fall by the same way we do, Ezekiel 28 started in 13, but go to 14. I ordained you and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. I expelled you, a mighty guardian, from your place among the stones of fire. Your heart was filled with pride because of all your beauty. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you down. I threw you to the ground and exposed you to the curious gaze of kings. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be put anywhere near Lucifer and his crimes. Well, if that's the case, then I need to have my pride checked and I need to have any lust for power banished from my life. One of the ways you can tell if somebody is struggling with pride and that pursuit of power is if they refuse to be accountable. Years ago, I dealt with some prideful people. Some of them were in my work environment. And I got to where I I hated to have this thought, but I was getting really good at figuring out who was going to fall next. Because you could just look at them, and if they were full of pride and refused to be accountable for their actions, Sooner or later, they were going down. And I didn't just see that in the secular environment. I saw it inside the body of Christ. And how ugly and how disastrous that was. Right now, as I am recording this, there's a large scandal with a church that reaches across the world. I mean, there's scandal upon scandal from, I don't know how it's all going to play out, but you can bet your bottom dollar that pride and power will play into all of this. So let's jump into 2 Samuel. So we've been reading through 1 and 2 Samuel most recently. And we've been talking about the fact that after the death of King Saul, 
David was named king of Judah, and Saul's son Ishbosheth was named the king of Israel. So David gets to see partial fulfillment of the promise that he will be the king of Israel. And in the midst of getting that bit of power, we start to see our power blindness at the very beginning. So while David was on the run, he did marry two, two women. Uh, that That's a fact. So he wasn't necessarily in a powerful situation there, but for whatever reason, he exerted some personal power and married two women. And then it just gets worse. Says that was the beginning of a long war between those who were loyal to Saul and those loyal to David. So we talked last week about Asahel, and that's going to be real important next week when we see the revenge come. But Asahel was this young man, and for whatever reason, he starts running at Abner. Abner was, and he's important in today's lesson. Abner was in charge of the armies of Israel. And for whatever reason, young Asahel went after him. And Abner is trying to warn him, but Asahel keeps keeps going after him. And Abner defended himself. And it didn't turn out well. And as a result of that and conflict that was already happening between Judah and Israel... We're seeing that a long war went on between those loyal to Saul and those loyal to David. As time passed, David became stronger and stronger while Saul's dynasty became weaker and weaker. If you just got to that part, it doesn't sound too bad. I mean, it sounds like David is growing in power when we know that God promised that David would be the next king of Israel. But then we start seeing some of this power blindness. These, were the, these are the sons who were born to David in Hebron. The oldest was Amnon, whose mother was Ahinoam from Jezreel. The second was Daniel, whose mother was Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel. The third was Absalom, whose mother was Mekah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur. The fourth was Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith. The fifth was Sheptatiah, whose mother was Abital. The sixth was Ithrium, whose mother was Eglah, David's wife. These sons were all born to David in Hebron. What in the world is he doing? Well, we can kind of see what he's doing, sadly. And he's become the ruler of Judah. And remember, this is a man after God's own heart. But does that mean that he does all the right things? Absolutely not. And one of the things that is a struggle for David, obviously, and we haven't even got to the Bathsheba part, coming up soon, but is his love of women. I mean, he seems to be very fond of them. And he keeps having babies. And like, it hurts my heart. I mean, because this is David. This is David of David and Goliath. This is David of the special friendship with Jonathan. This is David who hid in caves and ran from King Saul and 
repeatedly did the right thing. But when it comes to the female gender, he was blind. And how in the world would that this have been good for the people of Israel to see their king model this behavior? How is this good for his children to grow up in this kind of environment, which later on, it'll be a while, but later on we're going to find out that his household was dysfunctional off the wazoo. Well, you know, with, with that power, sometimes comes fame. And from a human standpoint, fame sounds good. Everybody's looking at you. Everybody wants to be you or be with you. But is that the life that God is calling us to? Was that the life that he was calling David to? It was not. Now, the next section, Abner joins forces with David. So this gets, um, this gets some PG uh, already. It, it, we're going to get a little PG stuff going on. So again, Ishbosheth. Saul's son, ruler of Israel. Abner is his right-hand man. He's the commander of his army. As the war between the house of Saul and the house of David went on, Abner became a powerful leader among those loyal to Saul. One day, Ishbosheth, Saul's son, accused Abner of sleeping with one of his father's concubines, a woman named Rizpah, daughter of Ai. So, that's what I'm talking about, PG. What a way to start out this section. Well, what was the big deal? Was Ishbosheth being the moral police and he didn't want his commander to be involved with someone outside of his wedding vows? I don't know if Abner was married, but probably. No. By if Abner had been having relations with one of Saul's concubines, which there's a problem right there. So a concubine was like a secondary wife. Wasn't up there at the full marriage vows, but still a part of the group. And David had those two. And Ishbosheth knew that if Abner was doing this, that again, talking about power, it would be a power play in order to garner more, I hate to use the word respectability because it's kind of the opposite, but to garner more attention if he was to be with someone that Saul had been with and Saul had been the king. And so Ishbosheth accuses him. Now, you kind of need to go back and look as to how Ishbosheth ended up in his position. Abner set him up for the throne. Abner's the one with the power. There's not a question about that. Ishbosheth is the, just the, the puppet almost. And the next verse says, Abner was furious. Am I some Judean dog to be kicked around like this? He shouted. After all I have done for your father, Saul, and his family and friends by not handing you over to David, is this my reward? 
that you find fault with me about this woman? May God strike me and even kill me if I don't do everything I can to help David get what the Lord has promised him. And he goes on, and I'll go on here in a moment. Do you notice that he did not deny the claim? Uh, We don't know whether he did or did not do the deed. But do you hear any godliness out of anybody so far in this narrative? And you're not going to. Like, we're going to go down to verse 23. Well, really 21. And, like, it's just, are you serious? Like, this is just so not a godly perspective. Because each of the interactions we see, no matter who it is, whether it is Abner, whether it is David, it's all about power, prestige, control. Abner goes on, I'm going to take Saul's kingdom and give it to David. I will establish the throne of David over Israel as well as Judah all the way from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. So you just heard that, didn't you? Abner is blind to who God is because he seems to think he's God. Let me read it again. I'm going to take Saul's kingdom and give it to David. I will establish the throne of David over Israel as well as Judah, all the way from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south. When we are in pursuit of power, not only are we blinded to the needs of others and blinded in relationships oftentimes, but we're blinded to who we are in comparison to the God of the universe because Abner has no clue. He has no idea how he would look in the eyes of God. He really believes that he's in control. Goes on to say, in 11, Ishbosheth didn't dare say another word because he was afraid of what Abner might do. Abner did have power over Ishbosheth because Ishbosheth allowed it. But Abner, as we will learn in next week's lesson, had much less control and much less power than he thought he did. Verse 12, then Abner sent messengers to David saying, doesn't the entire land belong to you? Make a solemn pact with me and I will help turn over all of Israel to you. All right, David replied, but I will not negotiate with you unless you bring back my wife, Michael, Saul's daughter, when you come. I just, this this whole set of scriptures causes my blood to boil. Boil. So, let's go back. 
let's remind ourselves. So David, David married Michael, which was Saul's daughter. But when he had to run away from Saul's insane jealousy, he left Michael behind. Michael helped him escape. And Michael was given away to someone else in marriage. David wasn't there. He was gone. And David, as we saw in the beginning of the scriptures, how many wives and kids does he have already? But now he's got power. And what is he doing? He wants Michael back. Does he want Michael back because he's in love with her and he wants to banish all the wives he's got and all the lesser wives, in other words, concubines, because he just loves Michael? No. He wants her back because, again, it's about power. He wants her back because he feels like he can have her back. And this is one of the most pitiful little stories in all of scripture when it comes to interpersonal relationships. So, verse 14, David then sent this message to Ishbosheth, Saul's son. Give me back my wife, Michael, for I bought her with the lives of 100 Philistines. You can go back in scripture and see where he's getting that. But David, are you serious? Why in the world would you think that this is a good thing for you, for your family, for the people of Israel? Well, he doesn't. He just, he just wants it. He wants back what has been taken from him. Oh, yeah, yeah. And you will see how it turns out. And it's pitiful. Verse 15. So Ishbosheth took Michael away from her husband, Palti, son of Laish. Palti followed along behind her as far as Baharim, weeping as he went. Then Abner told him, go back home. So Palti returned. So I told you, this is just frustrating set of scriptures. And this is our boy, David. Like, David, the one who's made so many wise decisions in the midst of some difficult circumstances with Saul on his tail. But now he's gotten some power. And he's exerting that power. And he's trying to take even more of it. He's breaking up a marriage here. He's hurting people. All in the name of David. 17. Meanwhile, Abner consulted with the elders of Israel. For some time now, he told them, you have wanted to make David your king. Now is the time. For the Lord has said, I have chosen David to save my people Israel from the hands of the Philistines and from all their other enemies. You notice that Abner's pulling the Lord card? One way that people exert power in Christian circles is to pull the the Lord card. The Lord told me that you should do 
Now, that doesn't mean that we are never, ever told some, a, a word to give to someone else. But be very careful. Make sure that it truly was the Lord speaking. And that you are not just using that as a way to manipulate somebody else. Abner also spoke with the men of Benjamin. Then he went to Hebron to tell David that all the people of Israel and Benjamin had agreed to support him. When Abner and 20 of his men came to Hebron, David entertained them with a great feast. Then Abner said to David, Let me go and call an assembly of all Israel to support my lord the king. They will, give, they will make a covenant with you to make you their king, and you will rule over everything your heart desires. So David sent Abner safely on his way. Are you sick to your stomach yet? In these verses, so this is 2 Samuel 3, 1 through 21. The only reference to the Lord is a promise really taken out of context, just used as a tool. David would be the next king of Israel. God had promised that. But Abner was working the system. He had power. He thought he had more than he did. But he had power, and he was using it to get back at Ishbosheth and to get on David's good side. Next week, we're going to find out that really didn't help him. And he had much less power and control than he thought he did. But even crazy stories like this, there are lessons for you and I. There's lessons in every part of God's word. And I would love to hear, I would love you to send me an email at encouragingothersandlovingjesus at gmail.com or put it in our Facebook group. I would love to hear the lessons that you learned from this unique narrative. But when it comes to my version of what I've seen and how God has used it with me, is this whole idea of power blindness. And it's something that I do not want to suffer from. But I know that each and every day of my life, I am going to be tempted to make everything about me. To exert power. And sometimes we, we think of that as manipulation. To manipulate people and circumstances to accomplish a purpose. Even if it's a good purpose, but using people instead of serving people. It is a temptation. When we as Christians get a little power, we're just like the world and usually we want more. But that is not of God. Because 
Matthew 20, 25 through 27 again. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. Jesus flipped the script. Uh, Wouldn't you like to hear Jesus have a conversation with David and Abner after reading or listening to this story? David was power blind when it came to relationships. He was power blind when it came to Michael and literally pulling her away from her husband who apparently loved her just to show that he could. And then there's Abner. What Abner was doing with Saul's concubine, we'll never know, nor do I want to. But his reaction was off the chain and his prideful self stands out. But as we we look at this and we're tempted to say, yeah, no, they were in the wrong and I will never do that. I will never, never, never embarrass the Lord in that way. Take heed lest you fall. Because every human being is tempted to be prideful. Is tempted to seek power. And not the power of the Holy Spirit residing within you. But that personal power where you've got the advantage. And you can make someone squirm. Our weekly assignment feature again, ask the Lord to open your eyes to any areas of power blindness in your life. You know, read back through 2 Samuel 3, 1 through 21 and see how God might use that text. Even though the circumstances are different, they gotta be different than your life. God can still use those stories. Those stories that do not point to a godly lifestyle. But sometimes we can learn from somebody's example that we do not want to follow in the same way that we can learn from others that led godly lives and we can follow in their steps. So thank you so very much for joining me this week. I would love to hear from you all. You can email me. You can jump into the Facebook group at Encouraging Others and Loving Jesus. I think that's the the two ways at the moment. But we'll be back with you next week. Uh, We will see just how little control Abner had on circumstances. He thought he was all that. He thought he had control. And in the blink of an eye, he realizes that he is 
is powerless to change circumstances as we all are. And in the midst of asking God to show you areas of power blindness in your life, you might want to take it a step further and ask him to show you who you've been missing in your climb to the top. Who might you have stepped on? Might it be time to flip the script and show them the love of Christ by humbling yourself and serving them? I would love to hear how God uses this in your life. And as we finish each and every week, I'm going to remind you to remember it's always a trust and obey kind of day. <music>